Yes, hello, Saints. It it is uh, it is morning here in Seattle, Washington, and um, because of that, I could not attend the last meeting. That was in the middle of the night here, so I wasn't with you for that. But um, I'm back and. I'm so happy to talk about the subject that we are on this weekend. It's, it sounds simple, but it's not simple. It, it the words are simple. It's the, in, the intrinsic and organic building up of the church as the body of Christ. Um, this kind of term is rarely heard when people talk about the church because the church has two um, aspects doesn't it it has a physical aspect that's the part you can see things like um, you and me we're in the physical realm Things like our, our our meeting places, they're in the physical realm. But that's not the church in its intrinsic and organic significance. The intrinsic and organic significance of the church is invisible. And it it's real, but it can't be seen with our physical eyes. So in order to see this, we need, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, we need the eyes of our heart to be enlightened. And we need a spirit of wisdom and revelation. You know, there are several books in the New Testament that talk about the intrinsic and organic aspects of the church Ephesians is the main one but you also have some chapters like Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 they speak of this but I would still tell you tonight that the top book if you want to know the church in an in, in an intrinsic way and in an organic way the top book is ephesians so before paul spoke about this revelation that he had received he first prayed for us he prayed for you and me that we would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation like he has and that not our physical eyes, but the eyes of our heart could be enlightened to know this great, great matter. Everyone knows the outward matter of the church because it's, it can all be seen. There's, there's buildings, there's services, there's uh, material offering, there's preaching of the gospel, many outward things. And we're not neglecting those or depreciating them. We're simply pointing out this weekend 
that that's not really the totality of the church. That's just the outward aspect. And brothers and sisters, the Lord wants us to take the, the way of the church, not only outwardly, not nominally where we say, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm in the church. I go, I go every Sunday. Well, I don't, again, I don't despise that. I, I, I'm happy if you do that. But let me tell you, it's different to be in the church in an intrinsic and organic way. Um, you know, I have two daughters who I raised along with my dear wife uh, in the church life. And they used to ask me this question. They would say, uh, Dad, is, 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 is so-and-so in the church life? It's a very troublesome question. And I, I don't know if I gave them the right answer, but what I told them is I said, not everyone who walks through the doors of our meeting hall is in the church. We keep the doors unlocked so <laughs> anyone can walk through. You know, it's possible. I, I, I just point out again, it's possible for us to be in the, in the realm of the church, in the sphere of the church, outwardly, even for many years, without ever entering into the intrinsic and organic aspect of the church. Wouldn't that be terrible? How do we... How do we get into that intrinsic and organic aspect? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. According to Ephesians, we are built in. We're built in. This is a very, very important thought in the scriptures. And um, it's the building of the church. So, the um, title of this outline is the intrinsic building up of the church for its organic function. And I want to read with you Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. I'll read them to you. If you have your Bible, you can follow along. You can see my my copy of Ephesians 4, I don't know how well you can see that, but if you can see it, I think you will realize I like this chapter. I love the whole Bible, of course I do, just like you do, but there are chapters that are more important, and this is a big one, the, well, the entire book of Ephesians is important and Ephesians 4 is particularly important. Okay, I'm going to start with verse 11. It talks before you get to verse 11, it talks about Christ ascending to heaven. Now, in verse 11, and he himself gave some as apostles and some as prophets, 
and some as evangelists, and some as shepherds and teachers. For the perfecting of the saints, unto the work of the ministry, unto the building up of the body of Christ. There's that phrase, the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all arrive at the oneness of the faith and of the full knowledge of the Son of God, at a full-grown man, at the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we may be no longer little children tossed by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching in the slight of men, in craftiness, with a view to a system of error. But holding to truth in love, we may grow up into him in all things. Who is the head, Christ, out from whom all the body being joined together and being knit together through every joint of the rich supply and through the operation in the measure of each one part causes the growth of the body unto the building up of itself in love. In these two, these few verses, Paul speaks twice about the building up of the body of Christ, the building up. So, we, we need to ask ourselves and ask the Lord, what is the building up? And as I just read these verses to you, I was quite impressed again. The entire thought here is organic, isn't it? The, the gifts that the ascended Christ has given to the church are to perfect them. But that perfecting is first for growth, growth in life. And then after the growth, there's a kind of function that is manifested. And eventually in verse 16, Paul says that the growth of the body is the building up of the body. This is the key point. This kind of building, it's not outward. It's not outward, like building a a physical building. In the physical building, there's no life. So you just take materials and join them together somehow. And a physical building does not grow. We've had our meeting hall in Seattle for 40 years. It hasn't grown an inch. It's the same size as it was 40 years ago. But the organic building grows. It grows. Well, what is this kind of building? It's the building up of the body of Christ. And the picture of the building up of the body of Christ 
is the building up of our physical body. How was our physical body built up? By growth. As we grew, our body was built up to reach a certain stature, to reach a certain measure. And Paul tells us in these verses, all of us, oh, brothers and sisters, pay attention to this word in verse 13. All of us will arrive at that measure and that stature of the fullness of Christ. That means all of us will arrive at two things. We'll arrive at the maturity in the divine life, we'll also arrive at the intrinsic building up of the church, which is the body of Christ in this age and the new Jerusalem in the next age. Now, before I read this outline with you, I want to point out something from the book of Genesis that relates to this. In the first message of this conference, we talked about God's creation of Eve as a counterpart to Adam. And we enjoyed very much that Eve actually was made out of Adam. The material used to make Eve was Adam, because she came out of Adam. Of course, this is a wonderful picture of how the church comes out of Christ. But I would like to point out to you today that in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, there are four different verbs that are used in relation to creation. And this is important because most of us are reading a translation. Most of us are not reading the Hebrew text. And, you know, it's a challenge to read and to translate these words, but it's crucial. It's crucial because you could get the wrong idea. So the first verb, is create. And it's right there in the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. We all understand this English word, to create something, means you make it out of nothing. There was no material there, nothing. But you created it. It's wonderful. Only God can create. We don't, we, we don't create anything. We, we, we take what he created and do other things with it, but we, um, we can't create. God is the creator. Then when we come to verse uh, 3 of Genesis chapter 2, um, it says this, um, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, 
because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. Made. So here's another verb. To make something means there's some existing material and you make it into something. Then we go to verse seven and we have yet another verb. It says Jehovah God formed man from the dust of the ground. Here's another verb formed. This means And this is referring specifically, I think you know this, this verse, Genesis 2-7, refers specifically to the creation of Adam's body. How did God make Adam's body? He formed red clay into a certain shape. That's what it means to form something. So, you know, we we use the translation dust. The Hebrew word there means red clay. And the the Hebrew word for the red clay is Adama. And Adam's name is Adam. Adam's just red clay when it comes to the matter of his body. Now, here's the point. When we get to Eve, another verb is used, not created, not made, not formed, built. And this is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 22. Jehovah God built the rib which he had taken from the man into a woman. Oh, my goodness. Look at that. So God built Eve out of Adam. Now we have this thought, which is in the entire Bible, of building. This is the beginning of the Bible. What did God do? He built a counterpart, a person. He built a person who would be the counterpart to Adam. Well, we know from the book of Romans that Adam is a type of Christ. And we know from the book of Ephesians that Eve is a type of the church. God builds the church a person to be the counterpart of Christ, a person. And the consummation of this is an eternal building, the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem, which we find at the very end of the Bible, is not a physical building. I say this uh, emphatically. It's, it's, It's so sad that... So many readers of the Bible have been led to believe that the consummation of all of God's building work throughout the ages is something physical. 
Of course it's not. If it's something physical, we don't even need God to build it. We can go get some gold and silver and stones and just build it. No, God's goal, his eternal building, is the same as his building today. His building today is the church, which is not physical. It's mystical. It's the mystical body of Christ. So the consummation of that building is also mystical, not physical. And it's also a person. The church is a person. My body is part of my person. If you if you if you strike my body, you strike my person. And Christ's body is a person. And who's the person? Christ. Not you, not me, but Christ. It's not your body. It's not my body. It's Christ's body. And how are we going to become Christ's body in reality? We are his body. In fact, the day you were regenerated, and baptized into Christ, you were also baptized into the body of Christ, and you became a living and organic member of the body of Christ. That's true, and and that will be true for eternity, but today we're talking about in reality, in practicality, in experience, Are we Christ's body? Are we an expression of Christ? You know, our body, that physical body, suppose I'm speaking to you today and I have no body. All you can do is hear my voice. Um, There's no expression. I might be very expressive but you can't see it so the body signifies the expression and we become his uh body in reality the same way our physical body is built up how was our physical body built up it's really not complicated at all is it we ate food That's how this body became so big. We ate a lot of food. So the Bible tells us we need to eat the Lord. We need to eat him, especially in John chapter 6. We need to eat him as the spirit in the word. That's how we eat him. We're all brothers and sisters, we need a living contact with the spirit in the word every day. These three things are one, Christ, the spirit, and the word. When we touch the word properly, we're touching Christ and we're touching the spirit. That's why the Bible refers to Christ as the word of God. We can say it this way, the Bible is the written 
word of God. Christ is the living word of God. And the spirit is the applied word of God. It's the word of God applied to us personally and intimately. Now let's come to Ephesians 4 and to this outline and see how the church is built up intrinsically and organically. The first point says the intrinsic building up of the church is through all the perfected members of the body of Christ. We read the verses that are referenced here. God gave to the church through the ascended Christ. He gave gifts. He gave gifts. This is... um, uh, Paul is alluding here in Ephesians 4 to Psalm 68. Actually, he's doing more than alluding. He's quoting. In this part of Ephesians 4, Paul is quoting Psalm 68. And then Paul interprets it. And he says the gifts that the ascended Christ gave, they're persons. The apostles, they're gifts. Prophets, they are gifts. Evangelists, they are gifts. You, you're a gift. You're a gift given by the ascended Christ to the body of Christ. You might say, well, I'm not an apostle. I'm not a prophet. I'm no evangelist. I'm no teacher. Well, let me tell you, you're still a member of the body. I'm not willing to give up any, any member of my body, not none, not, not even my smallest finger. You can't have it. I, I want it because that, that little finger is a gift to me. You know why? Because I can go Oh, what a gift. What a gift to my body is my little finger. In God's view, every member of the body of Christ is a gift to the body. I hope we could see each other this way. When we see each other, we would say, there's another gift given by the ascended Christ to the body of Christ. We don't need to compare our gifts. We don't need to exalt some gifts over other gifts. There's only one head. The The only gift that's greater is the head. And there's only one head who is Christ. So all of us are members, and we don't all have the same function, just like in our physical body, not all the members are the same size or the same strength, but we <clears throat> we appreciate every one of them, don't we? Okay, let me read point A. It says, Christ, the ascended head, has given gifts. 
These gifts refer to the specific gifted ones, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and shepherds and teachers. And these are given for the perfecting of the saints in the local churches. Let me explain, because I just said all of us are gifts. Now I said only special people are gifts. Well, we have to understand this properly. Every one of us can prophesy, but not every one of us would be called a prophet. We may not have the particular gift of prophecy, but we can prophesy. Every one of us can preach the gospel, but we may not be called an evangelist because we might not have that particular gift. Okay, this principle applies to all of these gifts. What these ones who have a special gift or or a greater gift, their function is not to build up the body of Christ directly. This is a very, very important thought here in Ephesians 4. I hope you get it. Because it's easy for us to think that. We say, oh, you just need a good, just get a good speaker, get a good uh, capable person. They'll, they'll do it. Well, that's not their job. The job of these gifted ones is to perfect everyone else. So if you are an evangelist and I have known a few people, actually not a lot, but I've known a few people in my life who I would call an evangelist. One of them, many of you know, Brother Dick Taylor. He came to South Africa many times. Wow, that's an evangelist. Now, I can preach the gospel, but not like that. But you know what? I can get perfected by him. And I did. I've known Brother Dick for over 40 years. He taught me how to preach the gospel. I still can't do it as well as him, but I can preach the gospel because I received some perfecting. Can you see the principle here? And then verse 12 of Ephesians 4 is very clear. What do they perfect us to do? They perfect us to do the work of the ministry, which is the building up of the body of Christ. So the work of the ministry is to build up the body of Christ. And who does that work? A special class of people? No. All the members. Look at your physical body. Every member builds up your body. As each member grows, your body is built up. It's, all, it's not just certain members. If it were, we'd have, you know, a great big arm and a little tiny body. No, it's not like that. The growth of all of the perfected ones is the building up of the body of Christ. So the first perfecting that we need to receive 
in our Christian life and in our church life is to be perfected in the growth in life. Maybe we haven't thought about this before, that it takes perfecting. Well, it does. It does. On the one hand, life is simple, you know, because it, it mainly consists of keeping a few life principles. But on the other hand, we all would admit, I believe, that we all would admit the amount we have grown in our Christian life is not that satisfactory. Uh, it could really improve. And, and how would that happen? How would it improve? Well, through perfecting. There's some who know, they just know, they just know. Um, maybe they just through their life experience, through their growth, all of those things. But anyway, they know some things that they can perfect us with so that we can eventually we can do what they do. That, that's actually the thought here in Ephesians 4. The gifts perfect all of the saints to do the same thing that they do which is what the work of the ministry unto the building up of the body of Christ. That's why you are so important. And that's why we should not despise the function of any saint, any believer, because everyone is needed. I say again, is there any member of your physical body that you're willing to part with right now? I understand. I don't know. You, you can ask Brother Michael because he would know. But I understand that there's a part in our body called the appendix. You can live quite well without it. But you know what? Please don't take out my appendix. No, I, I still want it. I, I, I still want it. I want every part. And when there's no, listen, there's no appendix in the body of Christ. There's no member we can live without. No, we need, we need all of them to carry out this perfecting work. You know, we, we, uh, talk a lot about this but it's like a mountain a big mountain that needs to be climbed um, it's one thing to be able to do something it's quite another thing to perfect someone else to do that same thing um, they're very different and I'm so thankful to the Lord that in his body, there are some who can do that, who can pass on what their gift is to others. You know, I still remember when I was a university student, I was, uh, I was often frustrated because 
all of the professors, they all knew the subject. They, they knew the subject, but some of them just did not know how to teach it. They just did not know how to pass it on. Clearly, they had the knowledge of the subject, but they did not have the gift to perfect others. I think this is a good picture. And let me mention one more point before I read on in the outline. There's a sequence here in the perfecting in Ephesians 4. And this sequence is quite important because when we say, Brothers and sisters, we all need to be perfected in our function for the building up of the body of Christ. What's the first thing you think about? Activities, service. Say, oh, yeah, I need need to be perfected. But the thought in Ephesians 4 is quite different. You're not taught how to do what the gifts do. No, it's organic. Okay, now we're going to touch the central thought of this message. The building up of the church is intrinsic and organic. The prophets don't give you a, a manual on prophesying and say, you just follow, follow the, here it is, 15 easy steps to prophesying. No, no, no. What the prophets do is through their function, they help you grow. They help you grow. And then through the growth comes the function. Okay, let me use another illustration to make sure that we understand the thought here. You know, in my locality, I don't know why, maybe it's the pandemic. In my locality right now, there are quite a few young sisters who are about to give birth to babies. Actually, just this week, three babies were born in in Seattle in the church life. And we're going to have a lot more. And one of the brothers and sisters this week, they had a little baby girl. And they named this girl Zoe. (laughs) That's a good name. Zoe is the Greek word for life and uh, referring to the divine life. So suppose I have here in my hands little baby Zoe. And I show her to you. I say, This is Zoe. She was born this week. You don't know when you look at her. What will Zoe grow up to be? Will she be a musician? Will she be a concert pianist? Will she be an artist? Will she be a doctor? We don't know. Will she... We don't know what kind of gift she has yet. And the reason we don't know Zoe's gift 
is before the gift will ever be manifested, she has to grow. And as she grows, the gift will be manifested. And as she grows, the gift will develop. And then at a certain point of maturity, it will be very, very clear what Zoe is good at in the human life. I hope you see the picture and it applies very much to our functioning in the church life. You know, um, I came into the church life um, 40, 45 years ago. And I was a, a young uh, student. I was a student at the university. I was a brand new believer. Didn't know anything. I didn't even have a Bible. I didn't know anything. And I, I began to just participate in the church life, just like we all do. And, but I had no idea what I was supposed to do. So whenever the brothers ever, if they asked for volunteers for anything, every time I raised my hand, no matter what it was, oh, children's meeting, okay. Uh, uh, paint the meeting hall, okay. Um, uh, mow the lawn, oh, all right. Because <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm like a little infant in Christ. And if you told me at that time, if you told me, oh, brother, you're, you know, your function is you, 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 you need to be a teacher, a shepherd and a teacher. You know, the, in Ephesians 4, the shepherd and teachers are, are the same person. We shepherd by teaching. We teach by shepherding. That's one gift, not two gifts. If you had told me that many years ago that uh, on, uh, sa on Saturday, March 13th, 2021, you will speak a conference along with another brother to all the saints in Southern Africa, I would have laughed. I would have just laughed. I'd say, you are crazy yeah if you think that i don't know where you got that idea well what happened life grows and then we don't your hand does not try to become a hand it doesn't say oh i just really really want to be a hand Please teach me how to be a hand. I want to be a hand. No, it's either a hand or it's not a hand. <laughs> do, do you understand my point? Our organic function in the body of Christ is not determined by us. And our organic function in the body of Christ cannot change. My hand can never be a foot. I don't know why my hand would want to be a foot, but it can't. And you can't just train the hand and teach the hand. Listen, 
hand. From now on, you are a foot. So let me give you classes. I'll give you foot classes to teach you how to be a foot. You know, that's, that is the religious concept of perfecting people. We'll send you to a special school. We'll give you specialized training. You'll become a missionary or a pastor or I don't know. But my brothers and sisters, all, that, all of that means nothing unless the head of the body organically assigns that to you. I, I'm really trying my best to impress you. It, we don't we don't choose our function. Our function is organic. It's organic. And it's there from birth. Just like in the human life, you know, there are certain things. I won't get into them. There are certain things in the human life that I'm good at. And then there's a whole lot of things I'm not good at. Why am I good at those things? I was born that way. I, that's the only answer. Don't ask me to play music. I can't play music. Not at all. But I can do some other things quite well. Look, this is the way life is. And within the body of Christ, we actually all have a kind of specialty. We do. We have a specialty. We're just good at certain things. And and it's by the Lord's grace and his life in us that we are good at those. That's an organic function. It's an organic function. Okay, I better read on now. Um, don't worry. I know I haven't read very much, but we'll finish. Uh, point B um, the perfecting of the saints in Ephesians 4.12 is unto the work of the ministry, unto the building up of the body of Christ. This preposition unto is important. The word unto, unto the work, unto the building up. The word unto in Ephesians 4.12 means resulting in, for the purpose of, or with a view to. The many gifted persons, they don't all have different ministries. They have one ministry. There's only one ministry. There are many ministers, including you and me but there's only one ministry and the unique ministry is revealed here in ephesians 4 the unique work of the ministry is what to build up the body of christ so whatever our particular function is say well you know I just use my dear wife as an example. She loves to serve with children, even though our children are grown and married. And, you know, she's been serving with the children for 40 years, but she loves to do it. 
and the kids love for her to do it, well, that's fine. In fact, it's really good. But we should not say, oh, she has a children's ministry. No, no, of course not. There's only one ministry, the building up of the body of Christ. So why do we take care of the children? We're preparing them as vessels for the building up of the body of Christ. Why do we go to the uh, university to preach the gospel? Because we have a campus ministry? No. We only have a body of Christ building ministry. And we go to the campus to preach the gospel to gain people for the building up of the body of Christ. I hope we can see this. Whatever our service is, whatever our function is, we all have to do the same work, the same work with the same vision and with the same goal, the same goal. Okay, small two. The many gifted persons have only one ministry, and that is to minister Christ for the building up of the body of Christ, the church. This is the unique ministry in the New Testament economy of God. I know this is a new thought to many of you because among believers, it's quite common for people to talk about this ministry, that ministry, music ministry, praise ministry, uh, healing ministry. None of that's in the New Testament. I mean, I know it's in religious tradition, but it's not in the New Testament. The New Testament reveals a single ministry because God has a single goal. His single goal in this age that you and I live in, his single goal is to build up a mature body of Christ that has the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that mature person in Ephesians 4 will be the bride in Ephesians 5 as the counterpart. So Ephesians 4 is God building Eve for Adam. And Ephesians 5 is God presenting Eve to Adam. It matches exactly the thought there in Genesis. So that's, that should be our focus, brothers and sisters. Don't say, please don't say, well, you know, that, that's nice, but, you know, the only thing I'm really interested in is um, uh, guitar. I, got, I have a guitar ministry. Okay. But I would still say, and we need some people to, to play the guitar. We need some people to play the piano. We need all that. But even when you're doing those things, you have to have a clear view. What I'm doing is serving Christ to people for 
the building up of the body of Christ. And let me tell you, if you have that view, you'll play the piano differently. You will. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I, I can't tell you where. It's another country. It's not in Africa. It's not here. But I was in a, uh, a particular place. And a brother came into the church life in this locality. And he was a fantastic musician. And he could play the piano so beautifully. But every time he played the piano, he actually distracted the saints from the spirit and from the hymns and from the Lord. And one day we told him, brother, you have to learn how to minister Christ to people in your playing of the piano. Do you understand my strange language? It took him a couple years, but eventually he got it. Whatever, whatever our, our, whatever we're doing. If you're serving meals, you know, in Acts chapter seven, um, there was a uh, uh, either Acts six or seven. I guess I should look to be sure. There was a murmuring among the widows in the church in Jerusalem concerning the distribution of food because the church took care of the widows by providing them food, which is wonderful. The church should do that. And we should have the burden to do that. But they were, they were unhappy about the way the food was being distributed. And um, okay, here it is. Uh, let me just read. It's 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 Act Six. In these days, as the disciples were multiplying in number, a murmuring of the Hellenists against the Hebrews occurred. The Hellenists were the Greek-speaking Jews. The Hebrews were the Hebrew-speaking Jews. Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily dispensing. So you know what the apostles did? Listen to this. And the 12 called the multitude of the disciples to them and said, it is not fitting for us to forsake the word of God and serve tables. But brothers, look for seven well-attested men from among you, full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint over this need. The re you know what the requirement of serving food is? You need to be filled with the spirit. 
Why? Because your service of food should minister Christ to people. And two of these seven, please note this, two of these seven men in Acts 6 who were chosen to serve the food were Stephen and Philip. Stephen and Philip were both evangelists. In the very next chapter, Acts 7, Stephen gives an amazing message, which consummated with his martyrdom. He started by serving food to the widows. Okay, I think you understand my point. Whatever we're doing in the church, there's an outward aspect. There's also an intrinsic and organic aspect. Don't stay in the outward aspect. It's not the important thing. You know, I remember when I was young, I, I, I used to, we just had a practice in those days on, on Saturday morning, every Saturday morning, uh, a whole group of brothers would go, go to the meeting hall. And and we would serve together. We would serve together. And, you know, we all did different things around the meeting hall, different, you know, cleaning and maintenance and this and that. But before we served, we would spend quite a bit of time to pray and to fellowship over that week's ministry message now i was a young brother i thought man these guys are wasting so much time why are we spending an hour on this we got to get to work we got things to do and it seemed like the brothers they, they didn't care they just they just wanted to pray and fellowship well eventually we we do need to do both we we do need to clean the meeting hall but don't ever make that the focus serving the tables that's not the focus serving christ is the focus okay i th- i think you understand me let me move on according to the grammatical construction of ephesians 4:12 the building up of the body of christ is the one unique work of the ministry. That's it. That's what the ministry is for. Whatever the gifted persons do as the work of the ministry must be for the building up of the body of Christ. This building up is not accomplished directly by the gifted ones but by the saints who have been perfected by the gifting, gifted ones. The work of the gifts is indirect, but the work of the saints is direct. The gifts are joined together in coordination to perfect the saints in the church to bring out their function, to bring out their function. 
each doing the work of the ministry. You know, the brothers who take the lead in the churches, this is a big part of taking the lead is to bring out the function of others. That doesn't mean to assign them a function. Say, well, right now we're a little short of people on, um, on the campus team. Why don't you go serve on the campus? Well, that's an assignment. How should we do it? We should pray. We should fellowship. And we should consider who has that function. Who has the function? That's, that's eventually our function needs to match what we're doing in the church. When they match, you'll be very happy. But if they don't match, you won't be very happy. Uh, D, in this way, through the perfecting by the gifted ones, all the saints will do the work of the ministry. And in the end, the body of Christ will be built up. Now, point C is good. It says eventually all the members of the body of Christ will arrive at the oneness of the faith and of the full knowledge of the Son of God at a full-grown man. In this verse, Paul uses three phrases in opposition to each other. That means all three of them are talking about the same thing. The oneness of the faith. The oneness of the full knowledge of the Son of God. And a full-grown man. This verse bothered me for many, many years. because. It says we're all going to arrive. But when I look around, it seems to me we're not all going to arrive. (laughs) And eventually, I got the answer. We are all going to arrive. But we may arrive at different times. It's like we, we called a meeting. We said, okay. Let's have a meeting at 7 p.m. Well, everyone will arrive, but some will come at 6.30. Some will come at 6.45. Some will come right at 7. Some will come at 7.15. Some will come at 8 (laughs) o'clock. We will all arrive but not at the same time. Brothers and sisters, every one of us will arrive at the full maturity of the divine life. We have to. Even if you don't want to, you will. This is like saying all of us will arrive at the maturity of the human life. Of course we will. (laughs) Why, Why wouldn't we? And The divine life works this way. We will arrive. But when? Some will arrive sooner. And this should be our goal. And this is what the book of Revelation calls the overcomers. They're the ones 
who arrive at this reality sooner. And I hope we all can be this kind of person. Okay, I read on. The oneness of the spirit in verse 3 of Ephesians 4 is the oneness of the divine life in reality. And the oneness in verse 13 is the oneness of our living in practicality. Ephesians 4, 3 says, we already have the oneness. We have the oneness of the spirit and we just need to keep it. I think we can understand this. All of us have the indwelling spirit within us. And that's the factor of our oneness. I can be one with you. You can be one with me because we have this spirit within us. And, and, and that means we have a kind of oneness. But then in verse 13, it says there's another stage of oneness, another level of oneness that we need to arrive at. So how do we go? From Ephesians 4.3 to Ephesians 4.13. What's the, what's the roadmap? Now you know. We read all the verses. We grow in life. And then out of our growth in life, we are perfected in function. And we, in turn, perfect others. And eventually... We all arrive. Small a, the oneness of reality needs to be practiced and thereby become the oneness in practicality. We don't just want a name that we're one. Oh, we're all one in Christ. I'm so one with all the brothers in Africa. Yeah, that's easy for me to say because I'm not in Africa. <laughs> I'm 10,000 miles away from Johannesburg right now. But it, but how about if I come to Johannesburg? Can I really have and practice the oneness in practicality with the brothers in order to do that? Yes, I can. But in order to do that, I need to cooperate with the divine life within me. Small b, the word arrive in verse 13 indicates that a process is required for us to arrive at the oneness of our living in practicality. Let me just say this again. If we all just stay home, I never see you, you never see me. We never have to do anything together. We never have to serve together. We never have to coordinate together. It's very easy for me to say, I'm one with all the brothers. But now the pandemic ends. <laughs> we leave our house. We come together. And even the smallest thing exposes us. We say, okay, brothers, time to arrange the chairs in the meeting hall. Oh, all kinds of opinions. 
Let's put them in a circle. No, 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 no. Let's put them in a square. The New Jerusalem is a square. Oh, no, no. Let's put, let's, let's set it up uh, conference style. It's endless. So, my brothers and sisters, this is why in our practice of the church life, we follow this pattern in Acts chapter 2. And yes, we have a name that we use for it. We call it the God-ordained way, or we call it the way of vital groups. But here's the principle. The principle is we do have big meetings of of the church, like uh, a prayer meeting, a uh, bread breaking meeting, a prophesying meeting. Yes, we do that. We also have meetings of the work, like we're having today, a a conference that it covers many localities, even many countries. But In addition to those large gatherings, we really need in the church to have small vital groups, small groups of saints who are more practically built together. You know, if you go to a... uh, a big congregation, you walk in, there's a thousand people. It's very easy for you to go there, listen to a, a preacher and leave and not even talk to anyone. But suppose that within that congregation of a thousand, there were a hundred groups of 10 who met quite often, not once a week, maybe even every day to fellowship, to pray, to care for one another. These are the vital groups within the church. And we're talking about the organic building up. I don't want to just leave you with a spiritual concept. No, there's a way to practice this intrinsic and organic building up, and it is to be vitally related with a number of saints. It's not possible to be vitally related to a thousand saints. You know, the picture of these vital groups, the picture is a family. You don't have a family with a thousand children. What kind of family would that be? No, the family has a limit. There's a limit to how many people we can bring together in this way to have a very practical, very real, even a daily building up together. It doesn't always have to be in person, but I can come to your home. You can come to my home. We can call each other we we can get on zoom together whatever we do but i i I hope you can realize we need both of this we need the, the vital groups within the church we also need the larger gatherings of the church 
I need to go on. And, and both of them, the larger gatherings and the group meetings with a smaller number, both of them are to give us a way to enter into the intrinsic and organic church life, not just to be in some outward form, but to be in it and to be built into it. Okay, number two, the oneness and practicality is the oneness of the faith. So Paul uses this expression, the oneness of the faith. The faith refers not to our act of believing, but to the things in which we believe, such as the divine person of Christ and his redemptive work accomplished for our salvation. That's what's called the faith. It's the articles of the faith. In the church life, we have only one thing that is special, the faith. It's the only thing we insist on. You like to meet with us? The only thing we insist on is you have the common Christian faith. That's it. We don't require you to practice this or that. We don't require you to uh, take a class and get baptized in our meeting hall. Just tell us, just when you come to the door, just tell us, I believe in the Lord Jesus and his accomplished work. Good enough. Come on in, brother. Let's fellowship. That's all we need to know. That's all we need to know. The oneness in practicality is also called the oneness of the full knowledge of the Son of God. The full knowledge of the Son of God is the apprehension of the revelation concerning the Son of God for our life and experience. Yes, we all know the Lord. I know him. You know him. But we all need to know more, don't we? We need the fuller knowledge of this Christ. The more we know Christ, the more you and I and all the others will be one, not just in name. It's easy to say we're one, but we're talking about practical experience. Okay, B, the oneness of the faith altogether depends on the full knowledge of the Son of God. Only when we take Christ as the center and focus on him can we arrive at the oneness of the faith. For only in the Son of God can our faith be one. Then the last phrase Paul uses to arrive at a full grown man that's to arrive at maturity in life and we all have this experience to be one with others to be forbearing to be long-suffering to be um, uh, flexible it requires maturity in life one of the reasons 
we have difficulties with the matter of oneness is that we have shortages in our growth in life. That, that, that exposes us. Okay, D, for the building up of the body of Christ, we need to hold to the truth in love so that we may grow up into him in all things, who is the head, Christ. To grow up into Christ is to have Christ increase in us in all things until we attain to a full-grown man. And here Christ is called the head. The head in Ephesians 4.15 indicates that our growth in life by the increase of Christ should be the growth of the members in the body under the head. Sorry, lost my place. Okay. E, to grow in life is to grow into the head. But to operate in the body is to operate out from him. It's interesting. Paul, Paul speaks in this way. Grow up into him and then your function comes out of him. Our growth is into him. Our function is out from him. First, we grow up into the head. Then we have something that we can flow out to the body. Through the growth in life and the development of the gifts, each member of the body has its own measure. Every one of us has a part. It, don't worry about don't worry, don't say, oh, you know, so-and-so has a larger measure than me. Maybe, maybe he does, maybe she does. <laughs> you can't change it. Just, just be happy. I have a measure. All of us have a measure to give to the body. The growth of the body of Christ is the increase of Christ in the church. Now we really are touching the intrinsic significance of the building. What is it? The body of Christ is Christ. The building up of the body of Christ is the increase of Christ within you and me. It's Christ replacing you and me. That's the building up of the body. Okay, I go quickly. The organic function of the church is in the organic body of Christ. That refers to the universal aspect of the church. But this organic function is also in the local expressions of the organic body of Christ. This refers to the local aspect of the church. You know, I, I, I say again, I can sit in my home and say, I'm one with the whole universal body of Christ. It never gets tested. 
But if I meet in a practical expression of this body in my locality, let's see how one we are. And if I am in a smaller group within the church life to become vitally related, now we will really experience this oneness. Because we are in, because we are this organic body, we should be organic, be organic, and function organically. I'm running out of time, but just saints, our function needs to be organic. That means it should not be organizational. It should not be hierarchical. The church isn't a business organization. We don't have a CEO. All of everything we do in the church life needs to be organic. All of our own function needs to be organic. When the grace of God in Christ as the divine element comes into our being to be our life for our enjoyment, it brings with it the element of certain spiritual skills and abilities. Okay, I mentioned this. These are inborn in your regeneration. Then, when these are accompanied by our growth in life, those skills develop into the gifts that we use to function in the body. Very clear, very clear. When the entire body is operating, the body causes the growth of itself, resulting in the body being built up in love. The organic function of the organic body of Christ is in the local expressions of the body. You can't really be in the body if you're not in a local expression of the body. Where do you go? Do you go to heaven to to meet with the body? Do you go uh, to the air? No, the the way that we are in the body is to be in the local expression of the body. And this function is through, this is from 1 Corinthians 12. This functioning is through the ministries of the Lord, the gifts of the Spirit, and his manifestations to the members of the organic body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, there are God the Father's operations, God the Son's ministries, and God the Spirit's gifts. That means the triune God becomes our constitution. That's how we can function. The gifts of the spirit are to carry out the ministries of the Lord and the ministries of the Lord are to accomplish the operations of God, the father. While we are functioning organically, the triune God who is within us moves together with us. So our functioning is coordination between us and the triune God. The triune God does not move apart from us. When we move, he moves. 
the last point, the organic function of the church is for the building up of the church as the organic body of Christ, the fullness of the all-inclusive one who fills all in all. Well, this is the intrinsic building up of the church for its organic function. May the Lord speak to us more through, through all of your speaking now. I'll stop here. <laughs>